0: You don't have very far to look before you see problems, big problems. Trent Griffith says the Bible though has an explanation. What's wrong with the world? The answer to that question is this, sin.
1: It's awful and it's contaminating everything. And it's not just a surface issue. Every sinful act is simply the overflow of a sinful
0: heart. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Have you ever looked in a mirror and been shocked at what you saw? Maybe you had some food stuck to your face or maybe there was a big old zit right on your nose. So in that moment, what did you do? After the surprise wore off, then what? Did you grab a brick or a hammer and smash the mirror? No? you went about trying to fix whatever problem the mirror was showing you, right? Well, God does the same thing with us. He gives us the Bible to be like a mirror. It shows us where our problems are, and the more that we gaze into that mirror, the more problems we often see in ourselves. But you know what? That's a good thing. Today's message from Pastor Trent is designed to be one of those mirror-gazing experiences. So let's ask God to help us listen carefully and with an open mind as we hear today's message. Here's Pastor Trent. Let me ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter
1: two. We are going to start a brand new series and the name of the series is called "Breath-Taken." And if I do my job correctly in the next few weeks and you do your job correctly in the next few weeks, At moments throughout the service we should actually hear some audible gasps as your breath is taken away by the reality of what we're about to read. Do you remember the first time you rode a roller coaster? You remember going over that first hill and having your breath taken away? You see some things uh, take your breath away that are absolutely awesome. Like the thrill of going over the hill of a roller coaster. How many of you remember, ladies, let me just try this out on the ladies. How many of you remember when your husband proposed and he pulled that ring out and he got down on the knee and you did what? Uh, It took your breath away, didn't it? That was a breathtaking moment. Or some of you remember the excitement of finding out uh, that you were going to have a baby or your first grandchild. It was a breathtaking moment. I remember a moment where Andrea and I were flying out to Seattle, Washington to do one of our family life weekend to remember marriage conferences. And and, uh, we'd never been out to Seattle and it was a long flight out there and the flights got delayed and the weather was bad and we got in really late. and We had a bad cab ride. We just got to the hotel exhausted and just kind of flopped into bed. The next morning we woke up and we opened the blinds to the window and the sun was beaming in and off in the distance you could see Mount Hood. It was actually Portland, Oregon, now that I think about it. it, is Mount Hood there. And, uh, and it, it was a breathtaking moment. And we just, oh, the beauty of that moment was, was absolutely breathtaking. Some things are breathtaking that are awesome. Other things are breathtaking that are Awful. Remember seeing those planes fly into the World Trade Center on 9 11. It was a breathtaking moment. Or some of you can remember when your children were little and walking across the floor late at night in a dark room and stepping on a toy. That's a breathtaking moment as well. Um, others of you remember unexpectedly biting into a habanero pepper in the middle of an otherwise unremarkable meal. And that was a a breathtaking moment. I remember uh, a time about nine years ago or so, uh, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina with our family. We were with Life Action Ministries doing a a summit and my uh, phone rang and it was my mother on the other end of the line about nine o'clock in the morning. She had woken up that morning and found that my father had passed away unexpectedly. It's a breathtaking moment. And so what we're about to see is something that is in the category of absolutely awful. And if I do my job right, you do your job right, there should be a breathtaking gasp when I read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read it together. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Either I didn't do my job correctly, or you didn't do your job correctly. Let me read that again. Here it is. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That ought to take your breath away. It continues in verse 2. In which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature the children of wrath. (sighs) Like the rest of mankind. We're going to stop there. We're just going to go through the first three verses of chapter two tonight. I'm going to give you a little warning here. This message will not resolve. We will leave Feeling awful if I do my job right and you do your job right. Today, we're going to examine the absolutely breathtaking reality that our sin is awful in the eyes of God and it ought to take our breath away. We're going to answer three questions. Here are the three questions What is sin? Number two, What tempts me to sin? What's so enticing about it? And then number three, what does sin do? Are you ready to jump into it? We need some answers to those questions, okay? So first of all, what is sin? And we've already kind of said this, but sin is awful, And we spelled it that way because we're looking for a deeper awe around the reality of sin. Now, remember the context of what's happening here. This is a real church and a real place, the city of Ephesus, and a real person. Paul is writing back to a group of people who once did not have faith in Jesus Christ, and now they have faith in Jesus Christ. Their sin has been forgiven. Their Pardon has been secured. He's reminded them in the first chapter of what their true identity is. Chosen forever. Child of God. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Guaranteeing their inheritance forever. He's reminded them of their identity. But do you see what he does in the first verse of chapter 2? He reminds them what they once were. They were dead in trespasses and sins. He never wants them to get over the depth, the breathtaking depth of sin and the depths of sin from which they have been delivered. If you're here tonight and you are a Christian, your sin has been forgiven. You have looked to Jesus Christ and placed your faith in him for the forgiveness of sin. You've repented of sin you still need to be reminded of how awful sin is. You should never forget the breathtaking awfulness of sin. He wants us to know sin is awfully bad and sin is awfully deep still on the inside of the human heart. Now, the human heart wants to convince itself that we are basically good. And when it comes to sin, of course, nobody's going to think or admit that they're perfect. They will say things like, well, nobody's perfect, but you still might believe that you are basically good with a few flawed areas. And if you work hard enough and get on your best behavior, you can kind of fill in the gaps. What the Bible wants us to know and never forget, that the human heart is totally depraved. It is morally corrupt. It is poisoned by the depths and the awfulness of sin. If you are not a Christian, you're a pre-Christian because we're going to believe the best about you. We're going to believe that before this service is over with, you're going to be one of those Christians. If you're not a Christian, let me tell you why you're not yet a Christian. It's because you have not yet convinced yourself of how awful your sin is. You're probably living under the illusion that you are good enough, or you can be good enough, or you can work your way into favor with God, and you don't understand how awful sin is To God, we have to be convinced that sin is not just a surface issue. Sin is something that is at the very depths of who I am. And until your breath is taken away with how awful your sin is, you will continue to try to save yourself and you'll never reach out for a Savior like Jesus Christ, who's the only one who can redeem that sin. We tend to minimize the sin that we commit. But here's the thing. If right now you're even kind of resisting the topic of sin that we're going to be talking about sin right now, you don't resist talking about the sin that others commit against you, do you? We minimize the sin that we commit toward others and toward God, and we maximize the sin that others commit Toward us. And so we're real good at talking about how awful somebody else's sin is. We maximize that. But we need to maximize our own sin. As a pastor, reading those prayer requests every week, a pastor sitting in counseling sessions, a pastor hearing about the broken families and the broken lives and the heartaches of children growing up in broken homes and all of the abuse and all of the awfulness that is our culture, it's real. Hard for me to grasp the depths of the sin around me. What I need to become better at is to understand I am actually part of the problem because there is still indwelling sin in me. What's wrong with the world? A lot of people have been asking that this week. What's wrong with the world? The answer to that question is this sin. It's awful and it's contaminating everything, and it's not just a surface issue. Every sinful act is simply the overflow of a sinful heart. A couple of years ago, I was in Milwaukee, and again, we were doing a family life marriage conference there, and I'd driven my car there, and I'd parked it in downtown Milwaukee, and what I thought was a place where you could pay and apparently it was like a 24 hour thing and I got there like at the 25th hour and I already had a parking ticket on the car. Was not real happy about that but I didn't feel a whole lot of guilt about that. I didn't feel like it was really all that awful but the reality was is I was guilty of a crime. The problem with so many of us is we treat sin like it's a parking ticket that it's a minor violation. And in reality, it's so awful that even one sin will keep you out of heaven forever. That is how awful sin is. It's deadly according to verse 1. You were dead in trespasses and sin. So what is sin? Sin is awful. Here's the next thing. Sin is crossing the line. Let's give it some more definition here. Do you see what he says here? That you were dead in trespasses. If you have the NIV, it says transgressions there. It simply means a line that has been crossed. It means leaving the path and wandering into territory that doesn't belong to you? Or maybe a more modern day uh, interpretation would be you're driving on a road and you get off the wrong road. You're headed in the wrong direction. Let me just try this out. How many of you men have ever been lost while driving a car? I am shocked that you were honest enough to admit that in church because that's never once happened with your wife, has it? You've never admitted that. And you know, you've got your wife there telling you, I think if you take this road back over here and why don't you check, why don't you, you know, and it's real hard for us to admit that we've gotten off the road. So men, to properly understand sin, all you have to do is when you have gotten off the road that you're supposed to be on and you're on a road where you do not belong, all you have to do is turn to your wife and say, I have sinned. Because that's what sin is. You've gotten off the path and you've wandered into territory that doesn't belong to you. You've crossed a line like a no trespassing sign. God has held up for us boundaries where it is unacceptable for you to cross the line. And probably the most famous of those no trespassing signs is found in Exodus chapter 20. And he gives us 10 of them. Maybe you've heard of them. They're called the Ten Ten Commandments, right? And so when God draws a line and says, you will not worship any other God before me, he draws a line. And what he's saying is this, on this side of the line is acceptable worship. On that side of the line is idolatry. But do you know what every one of us has done? We have crossed the line into territory not belonging us, from genuine worship to misdirected worship into idolatry, and we're all guilty. When God says, don't murder, what he's saying is on this side of the line is love, and on this side of the line is hate. We've all crossed that line. When God says, honor your mother and your father, what he's saying is on this side of the line, there's respect for God-ordained authority. But when we cross the line, we make ourselves our own authority, we rebel against authority, and we create anarchy in the culture. On this side of the line, God says, don't steal, work hard. On this side of the line is, no, cheat, get your way ahead by somebody else's hard work. And so we've all crossed that line. It's all these trespasses. And the final one, if you're able to somehow think you make it through the first nine, you finally get to the last one. And he says, don't covet. On this side of the line is gratefulness and contentment. On the other side of the line is materialism and an entitlement mentality and debt because we want to grab things that we can't pay for. And so all of us have crossed this trespass, this this transgression, this trespasses, and all of us have sinned. They're God's legal boundaries, and it should bring a breathtaking awareness of where we are when God shows us that sin. Romans chapter seven, verse verse seven says this, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. And so there's a line that's called the law that God has passed down from a lawgiver to people. There are laws, there are boundary lines. And God says, no trespassing. And when he does that, he's trying to say, I'm trying to keep you from hurting yourself. And if you choose to cross the line and you, see things start to disintegrate in your family and in your heart and in your character and your integrity, what God is saying, you choose to cross the line, you you get the consequences. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. God wants us on the right side of the line. Sin is crossing the line. Not only that, sin is missing the mark. You see the next word there? And you were dead in trespasses and sins. It's plural, it's talking about activity, things that we do, sins of commission, but also sins of omission, things that we've left undone. A lot of us think, I haven't done a whole lot of bad stuff in my life. Yeah, but think about the good stuff you've left undone. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. It means missing the mark. In Bible times, the most effective weapon that anyone would have would be a bow and an arrow. And so for target practice, they would put a bullseye up with concentric circles. You've seen a bullseye. And the archer would take target practice. And if he hit the bullseye, everybody would cheer for joy. If he didn't hit the bullseye, if he was off, do you know what he would say? He would say... I have sinned, I missed the mark. Now, the problem of the human heart is this. Even as I give that analogy, you're probably agreeing. It's like, yeah, I've missed the mark by a couple of inches. And we have this picture of ourselves working really hard to hit the bullseye. The reality is we're not even aiming in the right direction. We have flaming arrows and we're trying to burn down the world. That's the problem of the human heart. So it's crossing a line, it's missing the mark. But I want you to understand something. That's not our biggest problem. My biggest problem is not that I have missed the mark. My biggest problem is not that I have crossed the line. My biggest problem is that I despise the mark and I hate the line. My biggest problem is not that I'm a law breaker. My biggest problem is I'm a law hater. My biggest problem is not that I have committed sins. My biggest problem is that in my heart there is indwelling sin. It's not what I do, it's at the core of who I am. Sin is my nature. Psalm 51 verse 5 says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. From my very first breath, in my heart, there was sin contaminating everything I do. I am not a sinner because I commit sins. I commit sins... Because I am a sinner. What is sin? Sin is awful. Sin is crossing a line. Sin is missing the mark. Here's the next question. What tempts us to sin? Why? If, if sin is so awful, why, is, why am I so attracted to it? Well, this verse tells us in verse two. It says, in which you once walked following, first of all, the course of this world. He's about to introduce us to a triple tyranny. There are three slave masters. There are three wardens, three prison guards that keep us in bondage to sin. The first one he mentions here is the course of this world. I've got a friend who's 75 years old, and what he does for fun is he runs marathons. And uh, I work out with him three days a week and he runs around me in the gym the whole time. Makes me feel really crummy. He likes to run the course that's set before him. As long as he stays on the course, he almost always wins. And so for you and I to understand that there is a course that's been marked out for us by this world. When we talk about the world, we're not talking about planet Earth. We're talking about a worldview, a system of thinking. A belief system, a pattern that you hear and fold into in peer groups, you sing along with in pop music lyrics, you watch in movie scripts, you hear in media outlets, you study in philosophy classes, and you vote for in political platforms, and you engage in social media, and worst of all, you're addicted to Netflix. So all the worldviews are coming through these channels to us. And if you are not guarding your heart, you are following the course of a sinful worldview. And it makes you dead to God. And so we need to understand that we've got an enemy here. The course of this world makes sin seem normal and it makes righteousness seem weird. And so if you're a person that is pursuing righteousness, you're going to be weird in this world. You've gotten off the course of the world. You'll be mocked. You'll be marginalized. You'll be made to feel like you are a minority. If you can't handle that, you probably won't get off the course of this world. You'll be perfectly fine with counting sin as normal and righteousness as something weird and so we've got to understand the only sin that this world still even considers sin is what it's calling something sin we're living in a world where if you say hey that's sin the world will call that hate speech because you're not allowing somebody to sin and follow the course that the world is on And so we have this temptation by the world. Secondly, we have something called the prince and the power of the air. Notice it here in verse 2. He says, following, there's a second thing we're following. We're following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Sounds kind of spooky, doesn't it? What's this air and what's this spirit? It's, it's not too mystical, it's just the invisible world. We, we believe in God, if God's invisible, there is an opposing force to God. His name is Satan, and he has some measure of authority. He has some power, he does not have all power, and his realm is everything from the earth to the heavens, the space in between, we call it the air. And so he is the prince of the power of the air, notice, that is at work, there is something working to get you addicted to sin. It's a spiritual power. And it's at work in what he calls the sons of disobedience. And again, another definition of sin is is disobedience. We know that evil existed before the Garden of Eden. Evil existed before Adam and Eve were created because Lucifer... A created angelic being swelled up with pride in his heart in the throne room of God and he said I want to make myself like the most high we read that in Isaiah and then of course God kicked him out of heaven and kicked him onto the surface of the earth if I were God I would have chosen another planet but that I'm not God that's not an announcement so here we are occupying the same space as Lucifer, now Satan, who is still doing today the same thing that he was doing on the day that he was kicked out of heaven, he's leading a rebellion against God and he wants to take you and your family with him. And it's working against you. And do you know how he entices you? He entices you with the same temptation he had. He wanted to be like the Most High, he wanted to be equal to or greater than God. And do you know what the core of sin is? The core of sin is a declaration of independence from God to say, God, I don't need you. I don't need your boundaries. I will make my own boundaries and I will be like God.
0: Well, the good news can't be good until we first understand how bad the bad news really is. Trent Griffith is helping us see just how desperate things really are. And he'll finish the message next week right here on Resonate. Sin is never a fun topic, is it? But we can't just skate past it. If you're feeling the weight of your own sin pressing down on you right now, you need to ask Jesus for help. Tell him about your sin and then realize that the solution to your sin problem can't come from within yourself. It has to be given to you by God. You know, from my own experience, being plugged into a solid church that preaches God's word unapologetically helps me to clearly hear from God. And if you're searching for a church family, I'd encourage you to look into Gospel City Church. You'll find more information about service times and locations right on our website mygospelcity.org. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook for more great content from Gospel City Church. You know, examining sin can make us feel hopeless, but next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent will show us that there's actually a lot of hope in that. So tune in next time for Resonate. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.